0: Amen. Amen. Um, thanks, Neil. I uh, I love it. Heather Martin was like, hey, what would you think about just, if you guys know me, I love sitting across a table um, and talking to people about Jesus. I love sitting at coffee shops. I love sitting at dining room tables. I love just sitting and just being like, who is Jesus? And, and who does he say we are? And she texted me and she said, what do you think about just sitting down on a you know, on a stool and just talking. And I was like, count me in. Count me in. I just wanna, I wanna sit, I don't sit here as um, I mean, anybody who's speaking by the word of God and with truth is speaking with authority. Um and so, but I don't really come today um with a place of of that place, I guess. I come with a heart of be like we're all sitting at a table together, and I want to share what I feel like the Lord is saying. Um, it's a, there's, a, there's times that we give messages of teaching and, and messages of this and that, but I feel like today um, I have a word from the Lord, I feel like, for our church and for us personally. And, and I very much feel um, in the seven letters of Revelation, Jesus at the end of it, he says, let him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. And I very much want to look and say, Restoration Fellowship, if you're here for the first time, if you're visiting, you're part of this family because you're here. And I feel like the Lord has a word for our family. I feel like the Lord has a word for his beloved, and that's us. And so if you have an ear today, and you can hear, I feel like the Lord is saying, will you hear what the Spirit is saying? And I feel very much that This is something that the the Spirit is saying to us from our Father and from Jesus. Amen. And so can we uh, bow our heads real quick? So Father, thank you that in various times and in various ways, through the ages that you spoke um, through the prophets to the fathers, but today you're speaking directly through your Son. And we thank you that your Son speaks to us directly through the Holy Spirit. We thank you that the Holy Spirit is full of grace and full of truth. That everything that Holy Spirit that you're speaking to us through your word today is filled with the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father. And so would you open our ears today, on this day, on Family Sunday, on the last day of the year, as a new season is coming, as you're doing a new thing, shall we not know it? And we say it as, as the beloved that we will know it because you are speaking to us. So open our ears today. We say we have ears, we hear and we want to hear what the Spirit is saying. And so I ask for every heart, every ear, every mind to be open with clarity what you're saying today. And I ask that above all else that you would speak, that you would bring in the word. That you would bring tidings of comfort and joy today. So we love you and we thank you and we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I um. I've been doing a study on brotherly love. Um, I'd love to love the brethren better. Who would love to love the brethren better? I mean, I would love that, and and. W- Tosh and I have looked at our lives in this season, and there's a particular verse in First Thessalonians 4 that talks about an increase in brotherly love. And that increase in brotherly love came in tandem with an orderly life. It talked about an aspiration to lead a quiet life, an aspiration to um, mind your business, and it came with an aspiration to work with your hands. And there is an increase in brotherly love as there is an increase in the aspirations to lead a life that's worthy of the Lord. And so I felt this need. I desire to love people well. I really desire to do that. And so I kept on going through all of these different verses about where brotherly love comes up. Um. And the Lord brought me to Revelation 3, 7 through, uh, well, basically Re- Revelation 3, 7 through 13. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles there. There's not really a, those verbiage that says brotherly love in that. Um, like it does in other places in Scripture. But all of a sudden you look up what the word brotherly love means and uh, you don't realize that you're like, oh, of course, you know, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the city of brotherly love. Like you don't really think of that being a biblical stance. You don't think of that about that being a biblical truth. But the truth is the word Philadelphia actually means brotherly love. And so I felt like the Lord says, if you're going to study brotherly love, you should probably study The church to which Jesus wrote a letter to the church of Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love. And maybe if you want to grow in brotherly love, maybe you should look at the church that has the name of brotherly love for it. And I love the letters. I love the seven letters of Revelation. There's so many people who don't read the book of Revelation out of fear. There's so much fear in the book of Revelation. There's so much fear on this judgment in this critical book. When when the book of Revelation, it's not the book of revelations. There's no S at the end of the book. It's the book of Revelation. Because there's one revelation to be had. It's the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. To not read the book of Revelation out of fear is a foolish thing. Because it is the revelation of Jesus the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I love that Jesus writes these seven letters. I have a passion in my heart. I've gone through them different times with different groups of people, the letters. And I can't tell you enough how important it is because these letters, Jesus gives these beautiful descriptions of who he is specific descriptions of who he is at the beginning of each letter. And to some churches, he gives these commendations. To some, there's these criticisms. But at the end, there's always a promise. And who wouldn't want to read about a description of who Jesus is? Who is fearful of who Jesus says he is? And the promises, these great, exceedingly great and precious promises that he has. And so before we even start, I just want to say, read those seven letters. It would be my joy to go through a study. Anybody who wants to go through a a study of these seven letters, I would love that. What a beautiful thing. At the end of this letter, it says, let him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. So I'm going to read the first couple verses. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things says he who is holy, he who is true. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. I come to you with a a message that I feel like the Lord says. I wrote it in my journal. Much of everything that I've said comes from my journal. An open door set before you. I come to you today and I really believe that as we enter this new year, this is a personal invitation to each of us and this is a personal invitation to this church family. He says, Behold, an open door has been set before you. And it's an important message to hear I feel like he's just said those words beloved the lord is setting an open door before you and before us as a church. And the one who's setting that open door before us is holy. He is true. And he holds the key of David. I want to focus. I love that we were singing today about his holiness. You are holy. I love, I love that aspect. He's holy. He's completely set apart. He's true. I realize I looked up the word Jesus is true. Do you know that that just means he simply is? He is real. I have needed to hear that Jesus is real over the last month and over the last year because I'm like, oh, you have to be real because none of this is worth it. None of the decisions that I'm making right now are worth it if you're not real, if you're not true. I want to focus today, and I feel like the Lord is focusing on him. Jesus holds the key of David, and he opens doors that no one can shut, and he closes doors that no one can open. It's a reference in Isaiah 22, 22. It talks about uh, the key of the house of David. I will lay on his shoulder, so he shall open, and no one shall shut, and he shall shut, and no one shall open. Um, in that reference, in a lot of ways, I could go over and explain it, but I'm like, it kind of went over my head. And so what I was looking for was in Second Samuel, David was anointed king. So when you think of the key of David, he was anointed king. And in those days, these strong cities, there was one place that you could enter in. It was through a what? Do you know? A gate. There's this huge, large iron gate. Was the key lock on the inside of the outside of the gate? It was on the inside of the gate. So David ruled um, from a place, that, from Hebron, for seven years. And then in Second Samuel, it talks about it. And I'm just going to read it real quickly. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. Now David said on that day, whoever climbs up by way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore, they say the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. You couldn't open the gate from the outside. What did you have to do? You had to open the gate from what? What? You had to open it from the inside. The key of David actually was the key that opened things from the inside and let anything in or kept everything out. And so the key of David was really meant for the dates of, when you look at that, he finally ruled and reigned over all of Israel. But he needed somebody to go on from the inside, and he needed them to unlock the gate because nobody had the strength to break down the gate. And so the truth is Jesus holds the key of David from the inside because you can't break it down. No matter what strong or strength that you have, you can't break it down. And so the one who holds the key of David can unlock doors and he can lock doors and anything that is shut cannot be opened. He alone has that. And I'll tell you, I felt a little bit of a fear of the Lord thinking of that an open door has been set before you. Um, but when we went through uh, the songs of Ascent, tribe went through songs of Ascent. And one of the Psalms said, Psalm 122, it says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And it sounds so good. You're like, oh, I'm so glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. But then I thought to myself, do I really love that invitation knowing that the journey to get to the house of the Lord was treacherous and it was tumultuous and it was difficult and there were things lost along the way and I faced tribulation and persecution. Am I actually glad to go to the house of the Lord? Beloved, are you glad to be on the journey to the house of the Lord? And before we answer, be very quick To answer and say, yes, how glad are you when things are difficult? Is your heart full of joy when when you have a sickness that's not being healed? Is your heart so glad to go in the house of the Lord when you have to be patient with someone who is unkind to you? And are you joyful when they're saying, hey, come on, let's take this journey to the house of the Lord because we're going to enter in, but it will be tumultuous on the way and I might have to give up a lot of my comforts and my ease. Are you glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord, and I don't know? And so when the Lord says, I'm going to send an open door before you, I've realized I don't know if I'm actually glad to walk through that door. Do I really love the invitation? And do I really know what an open door means? We've, as a church, talked about being a city of refuge. Many people love the idea of being a city of refuge because it means you're safe from everything. And biblically speaking, I will just tell you, that is not what a city of refuge is. A city of refuge is not a city that kept murderers and thieves out. What was a city of refuge? The city of refuge is where those people fled and were loved and cared for it, and protected. You want to be a part of a city of refuge, then don't be offended by a murderer's presence. You want to be a city of refuge, you better not be offended by a thief. You want to be a city of refuge, you better not be offended by a sinner. First and foremost, they're coming. Second of all, you are one of them, and so am I. Same thing as an open door. When, when we sit and talk about open doors, we love an open door. I am starting to different people uh, this week. I love Daniel Poles. I want to tell everybody that they should all spend time with Daniel Poles because it is one of my favorite times of my week. But then I think his family would agree. Probably Austin Bregner would agree. Many of us would agree. Don't spend time with him because then we wouldn't be able to as much. So the truth is... When I was like, what do you think of as an open door? And his first word was like, I feel like an open door is an opportunity. When I think of an open door, when I hear people talk about open doors, it's typically an opportunity. What I also realize is that someone's like, oh, God's opening doors for me. Most of us think of opportunities for our own personal increase. Most of the time, we're like, God's really opening doors for me, meaning you're making more money. You have a bigger opportunity to have more impact for your name, to have more glory, more honor, more respect, more praise of men. An open door typically means an increase for us personally. Who believes that? That's probably true when you hear someone talk about an open door. God's really opening doors. He's opening doors for me to go here and to go here and stuff like that because it's going to be so exciting and so fun. And I found myself deeply convicted this past week because the Lord's been speaking about an open door for me and different open doors um, for me personally over the last month. And I, um, the Lord is so kind and he's so gentle in his conviction and he comes and, and he's a God that comes and you don't even know that he's disciplining you because it's so loving and it's so kind. And I realized this week that my desire for open door came with a desire for my own personal increase. I looked at, at, at what doors I was looking for and it was for my own increase. It's for my own comfort. And you know what? It's for my own legacy. Do you know how many open doors we desire so that we can leave our own legacy? you know how many open doors that we think are better because we'll make more money doing something? And the Lord so gently corrected me, and you know what he said? Felt like he said, what if the open door set before you is an opportunity to decrease so that I would increase? As we're searching for open doors, beloved, this as the time and the seasons go by, I want to encourage you And I want to ask you that question on behalf of what I feel the Lord has been asking me, is asking us. What if the open door that we're looking for this season is not for our own personal increase? What if it's not for your increase in money? What if it's not for your increase in stature? What if it's not for your increase in ministry? What if it's not for your increase in friends? What if the open door that the Lord is giving to us today as a church, and personally, what if it's for our decrease? And what if it's our decrease so that he can increase? And how offensive is that? I started thinking about the, the open doors that different men and women in the Bible had. And I was sitting there and I, who can, I, I can't think of it as I think of I must decrease and you must increase. Who do you all think of? John the Baptist. John answered in John 3, 27, a, a man. He said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness That I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of his bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of his mind is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Whose joy is fulfilled when you walk through a door and you're decreasing as you walk through it? Whose whose joy is being fulfilled when you walk through a door and it seems like you're losing everything that you've been giving? I think of John the Baptist. I'm like, he wanted to give it all at the height of his ministry. I mean, this was the height of his ministry. He wanted to give it all. I mean, his entire ministry was about being a forerunner for somebody else. That's what his ministry was. And the truth is, all the people that followed him and who cared for him and loved him seemingly most were offended that he didn't receive the glory or the honor that they felt like he deserved. And they actually tried to tell him that. It seemingly looked like his ministry was being taken away from him. And he said, That's my joy. That's my purpose. Thought of Job. What was Job's open door? What was Job's open door to glorify the Lord? He had everything, and then what happened to it? It was taken away. It was absolutely taken away. His kids were taken away. I was telling someone the other day, I'm like, ugh, I can't imagine losing Tosh. Like, my wife is like, I don't even know what I'd do without my wife. You know what's worse than having your spouse taken away? Having your spouse watch you, have everything taken away, and look at you and say, why don't you just curse God and die? The tragedy of having a spouse turn on the Lord and then try to get you to turn on the Lord too. I was like, that would be such a tragedy. His open door was to be a righteous man in the midst of that. Who wants to walk through the open door that Job went through? How about Paul? Imprisoned, chains, beaten. Anybody want to go through his open door? How about John? He was the one loved by Jesus. You remember where he was when his open door came? He was in a prison on the island of Patmos. His open door to bring glory to the Lord came while he was in prison. And I think to myself, like, who better than to display what it looks like through an open door, actually, than Jesus? Because he knew, and he knew without a shadow of a doubt, and I felt like this was a huge thing the Lord said this week. He says, my glory is your glory. I felt like that, it's a very distinct phrase. I felt like the Lord says, my glory is your glory. And so anything apart from glorifying him will cause our glory to actually be diminished as well. And so you look at Jesus and he said in John 12, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. How many times are we in the the hour of difficulty and agony? How many times are we in the the hour where things have been taken away and we wanna say, Father, save me from this hour? But what did Jesus say? I want you all to say it with me. He could say, Father, save me from this hour, but he said what? But, let's just say it's verse 27. But for this, what? Purpose, I came to this hour. Let's say that one more time. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Would we ever ask the Lord to deliver us from our purpose? So many of us are finding purpose and looking for purpose. What's my calling? Who's said that in the last 5, 10, 20 years? What's my purpose? What's my calling? And yet how many of us are asking the Lord to deliver us from our purpose and our calling because it's just too hard? How many of us don't like our purpose if our purpose involves any sort of difficulty? Can't my purpose just to be really, really wealthy and have everything I need and be comfortable in this life? I promise I'll praise you, Lord, and maybe the nations will turn. So sorry, guys. I'm so sorry the nations are not going to turn to Jesus because the church is resting comfortably. I'm so sorry that every tongue and tribe and nation is not going to come to the Lord because the church is sitting there in ease and comfort and praising because he's given us everything we want. The open doors of opportunity, if it's only for the wealthy, if it's only for the the honorable, if it's only for the perfect, then the world is not going to turn to the one because that's not what Jesus demonstrated in his open door. In fact, that's why he said, why would I asked you to save me when this is the purpose that I'm here, to glorify your name. And that's what he said. Father, save me from this hour, but this purpose I came to this hour, Father, glorify your name. Jesus didn't deny that he was troubled. It's not like he was like skipping along joyful laughing while he was like being whipped. Nobody expects, and I don't think the Lord expects us not to to look to him and cry out to him. That is not what this is saying. And it's not that there's not joy in this life or laughter or wealth is bad or, or anything like that. I'm not, hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying any of those things are bad. But remember what John, what John the Baptist said. He said nothing has been given to a man that he hasn't received from heaven. So our comfortable homes and our nice jobs, they're not ours. They're not mine and they're not yours. And if we're offended by giving them back to them, then we need a heart check, guys. And we need to ask, what is our open door? An open door is actually a calling. It's a beckoning. It's an invitation to walk through. We're being called to walk through an open door How often are we asking to be delivered from the very door that's in front of us because we don't want to walk through it because of what might happen if we do or what might be taken away? Jesus answered the call, though. He answered every invitation. And for the sake of even that moment, he looked and he was like, I know I would decrease all for the sake of making known the Father. And because he understood that an open door was an opportunity for his own decrease, that the Father's glory might increase. And because he was willing to walk through that open door, he had the confidence to pray a specific prayer out of John 17, 4 through 5. I love this. I want to read this out loud. Jesus was about ready to go to his death, and he says, I've glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work that you've given me to do. And I love this. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself. Glorify me together with yourself. He said, glorify me together with yourself, not apart from you. He wasn't looking for a glory apart from the glory that the Lord has. And I tell you, I, at times, even in this last week, this last month, have been looking for my own glory apart from him. I've been looking for my own ease, my own comfort, my own legacy, my own wealth. And the Lord is so kind to be like, no, no, that's not who Jesus is and that's not what he did. He was actually looking to be glorified together with the Father, not apart from him. And then Jesus called the disciples to be exactly like that in in Matthew 16. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father. The open door is an invitation to pick up your cross. The open door is an an invitation to, To lose your life knowing that whatever you give up, you'll receive back a hundredfold. What did Job receive because he was a righteous man after he lost everything and continued to be righteous? What did he receive? He received everything back and he received double. We have to follow the leadership and the example of Jesus. He showed us an open door is actually to give all things, and that's what leads to eternal life. The example of who Jesus is, the one who holds the key of David, what is the key of David? The keys to what? He's a king, so what is he going to have? What was that? He has a kingdom. A king has a what? He's got a kingdom. He holds the key of David, right? Right? You know what Jesus does at the end of the age with the keys that He's been given. The keys He's been given. First Corinthians fifteen says it. I'm going to read it. Then comes the end when He Jesus delivers the kingdom to God the Father. When He puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for He must reign till He has put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy will be destroyed is death. He has put all things under his feet, but what he says, all things are put under him. It is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. He's the exception. So I'm going to simplify this. At the end of the age, when Jesus has ruled and reigned, when every enemy has been defeated, when death has been defeated, what's he going to do to the kingdoms of the earth? What's he do? He gives them over to who? Who? His father. And when does he give them over to his father? When everything is what? Defeated. Does that seem fair? Who's ever done all the work and then handed it over to someone else? Who's ever been at a job where you labored and labored and labored and labored and you did everything and someone else dropped the glory? Who has ever been in a situation where you were cleaning the house, you were doing the work? You were putting in all the effort and when everything was pristine and perfect and clean, you just handed it over and say all the glory belongs to you. Because that's what Jesus did. And not only that, he subjected himself over to the Father. That's what happens at the end of the age. The one who holds the key of David, he hands it over when everything has been done and all the labor's over. And you want to know why? Because it all belongs to the Father anyway. All of our successes... Everything that we do, guys, beloved, everything that we are good at, it's not ours. All the things that we're setting up. This church, I love this church. It's not ours. I have such honor for our elders and for our admin team. I have such honor for our directors because they're working and laboring in so many different ways that many of us are not and we're laboring and they're laboring and it's not theirs. At the end of the age, all the labor that's been done in this church, all the people up here leading worship, people serving, hospitality, doing sound, it's all his. All the talents that we have, all the money that we're tithing, all the, all the things that we're giving to each other, it doesn't belong to us. And I'll tell you, if we're offended when we're having to give up or we're offended because of all the labor we're doing or the things that we've earned or we've done, we are not acting like Jesus. And we are not walking through the open door with the joy that Jesus has. All of our victories, all of our successes, all of it will be given over to the Father just like Jesus did. And then in return for giving everything we did to be glorified together with the Father, just like Jesus. Because did you know that the Father gave Jesus his glory? It says that in Isaiah 42, he thoughts about Jesus. The prophetic word about Jesus, behold my servant whom I am uphold, my elect one in whom all my delight is. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Verses, a couple of verses later in verse 8, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. It doesn't mean he won't give his glory to anyone. It says, I've already given my glory to Jesus, and I'm not going to give my glory to anyone but him. And so, the Father has given Jesus the glory, and who has Jesus given the glory to then? Us. But why that Jesus received the glory from the Father because he was willing to give everything what? Back. Just like the Father has given Jesus the key of David, what will Jesus give to us? He holds the keys of the kingdom. It says it, the key of David. It says it in Revelation 3. And that's why there can be an open door. But what has he given us? Well, Matthew 16 says it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We've been given the keys to the kingdom. Do you know that? Beloved, we have been given the keys of the kingdom. Jesus was given the key of David to the kingdom, and well, what's he going to do at the end of the age? He's going to give it back to who? Are we? Are we gonna try to hold on to the key? It's no wonder that Matthew 16 says, I'm gonna give you the keys, the kingdom, and just verses later, that's when it says you're gonna have to pick up your cross as well. Take the keys, but you know what else you're gonna have to take? The cross. When did John's open door happen? When he was what? He was in prison. Revelation 4, it says, After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things that must take place. Is it any wonder that what he saw was one seated on the throne, and he saw elders laying down their crowns before him, crying out, Worthy? John's open door was to see God in his glory, and then witness men laying down their crowns. The keys will come with a cross. The open door and the crown will most likely come with chains and imprisonment. You want the crown? You want the crown that God wants to give us? Do we want the crown? But will we take the chains that men offer We want the keys to the kingdom of heaven, but will we take the cross? That's the open door. And it's for, oh, the joy of laying everything down before him. Oh, the the joy of giving back everything that he has given us. Has anybody ever heard of the great exchange? Has anybody heard that phrase, the great exchange? Typically, I hear the great exchange spoken of when Jesus came the first time. The great exchange of his cross, he died, and and we get to turn in our filthy rags. What do we get to trade them for? Garments of praise, white garments of praise. That's what we get to trade for. What a great exchange. Anybody here ever had somebody give you filthy rags and you give them your favorite jacket? Anybody here ever have like your favorite ski boots and someone give you completely broken ones and you trade your best? That's what Jesus did the first time in the great exchange. What I realized, though, is that there's a second great exchange. At least that's what I believe. By the way, everything that I say, (laughs) please check with scripture. Like these are things that once and I'm having conversation with my family, with my friends, with the brethren. Like I'm having these conversations. I'm not telling you what this is and everything is perfect that I'm saying. What I'm saying is my perspective and what I believe the Lord is sharing with me. You just have to go and find this revelation on your own. And so when I say this, I believe that there's a second great exchange that I've never heard about. And I felt the Lord was like, there's a second great exchange. We traded our sin for justification of his blood when he died on the cross, but what about when he returns? What's the great exchange? I wrote, does he not offer a great exchange then as well? Does he offer not a second great exchange? Because we will have an opportunity to give back our keys and lay down our crowns. He's given us the keys of the kingdom, and he's given us these crowns. He said that you'll have dominion over the earth, over all these living things. But I feel like there's going to be the second great exchange, the keys of the kingdom, the dominion of the earth, those things that God has given us freely that don't belong to us apart from him. These things we will give back in exchange for being glorified together with the Father and the Son. I was telling Daniel, I was like, it's like someone giving us $100. Someone gives you $100, And then that same person was like, if you give me that $100 back, I'll give you a million. It's like somebody giving you something and saying, if you just give it back, I'm going to give you more. Has anybody ever done that? Have you ever given someone $100 and then be like, if you just give that back, I'm going to give you a million. Just to see if you'll give back the hundred and believe me for more. And then the second great exchange is all these beautiful things that he's giving us in this lifetime and handing it right back to him, knowing that the greatest thing that we can ever receive is to be glorified together with the Father and the Son. And I think that that's the second great exchange. And I think that we are constantly, day by day, being asked by the Lord if we will walk through the open door to hand back that which he has given to us. Or if we're just going to cling, cling, and cling to all these things because we've earned it. And we deserve it on this side of eternity. Because he says, you know what came with the open doors in the Bible? First Corinthians tells us that with the open doors came adversaries and people against you. In Acts 14, the open doors came with tribulation and trials. In Colossians 4, 2-4, the open doors came with chains and imprisonment. And so, beloved, the Lord is presenting us an open door. He's presenting each of us individually with an open door to walk through. And I actually believe that this is a word for our church. That there is open doors being presented to us as a church. Can I have a couple? My kids are going to come up. Uh, A couple. If you're under the age of 13, can you come up here, please? Come on, I see you. Get on up here. I would like. Please don't open these. But I would actually like you guys to take these, and I'd like everyone to have one. Can you go hand one to everybody? Be careful that nothing. Be careful that nothing falls out. Good job, you guys. Can you make sure that everybody has some? Everybody gets one. Perfect. That's good. Please don't open them yet. I hope we have enough. I feel like we have an opportunity, Kayla, do you want to come on up? I really feel like we have been given an opportunity as a church, and that we've been given an opportunity in our personal lives, and, and I don't come with this message lightly, but I also don't come with this Message with a heavy heart and a burden and say, okay, everybody should walk away feeling burdened. Because we do have the keys to the kingdom, you guys. We have been given by Jesus, the one who holds the key of David. We have been given authority in this earth. Did you know that? To loose things on the earth as it is in heaven, to bind things on earth as it is in heaven. We have been given that. We've been given from the the beginning dominion over this earth. We've been given dominion in the name of Jesus. And with that crown, and with that key, comes a cross. And it might come with the chains. And it might come with persecution. And I want to encourage us today, it's time to walk through an open door. So I want you to go ahead and you can open up. You'll see what you have. It's Some of the verses that we talked about. There's an open door presented to us. And you're going to find a key with a crown on it. And we're going to take some time to talk to the Lord. It's not been handed to you by me. It's been handed by Jesus, this key and this crown, this ability to walk through an open door. It's the beginning of a new year. It's the beginning of a new season, beloved. The cross given by men and the crown given by the Lord, the chains possibly given by men and the keys given by the Lord will be given together on this side of eternity and not one without the other. I just want to say at the end of the age, just like Jesus, when all the ones that have persecuted us and placed us on the cross and in chains, when they've all been defeated, we will give back the keys and lay down our crowns and be glorified together with Jesus and the Father forever and ever. But we've got to to come into alignment with who Jesus is. We've got to. We've just got to. And I feel like the Lord is giving us an invitation into that today, this morning. It's not something to be taken lightly. It's not something to be a spectator of. It's not something for us to just be like, oh, yeah, there's an open door for my increase. Beloved, are we ready for the decrease? We all want to talk about the prosperity. I want to talk to you about the prosperity that comes when we're glorified together with the Father and the Son. And if the prosperity of today is hindering our ability to look to the prosperity of glory when we're with Him, then I pray that the Lord would gently and kindly convict us this morning. And so as Kayla plays, can we go ahead and just turn off some lights? This is going to be a time of ministry, but it might not necessarily just be people praying for you. This is actually a time to let the Lord minister to you. There are other seats like around the room. There's people that can sit against the wall. There's people who can come up and sit and kneel. We're going to actually have a time of ministry, not where people are praying. I'm not going to sit on the mic. We're not going to be on the mic. We are actually going to ask for a time with the Holy Spirit to minister to us on this word. So I would encourage you actually, if you need to get out of your seat, we're going to take about five, 10 minutes and ask the Holy Spirit to minister to us about who Jesus is, about what open door he's presenting for us. And can we go ahead and turn off some of those lights? Like, let's set this. This is a place of ministry.